sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Uh, today, we have a very special guest who is commemorating decades of service in the cause of religious freedom. And I thought it'd be a good idea to take a, a retrospective on some of the developments that he's had a bird's eye view of. Bruce Cameron, Reed Larson, Professor of Labor Law at Regent University Law School, Counsel with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Welcome back to Freedom's Right. It's good to be here with you, Alan. 43 years. Getting tired <laughs> just thinking about it. I don't even aspire. I'm in my 26th year. I don't aspire to that, but that's quite an accomplishment, my friend. I've got at least six to ten more years to go, I think. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I we lawyers retired. don't ever really retire, do we? I don't. I can't imagine uh, staying home and watching TV and just having too much fun teaching at law school and being involved in some high-level Supreme Court cases. Yeah, it is exciting. Well, your career is, has really been about uh, the freedom of workers to practice their faith, and especially with respect to not joining labor unions, right? Yes. In fact, it's, it's specifically limited to uh, that. Uh, when I started 43-plus years ago with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, I came to work for them because they said that they helped employees who wanted to stand apart from a labor union. And so when I interviewed with them uh, straight out of law school, I asked them if I could litigate on behalf of employees who had religious objections to uh, supporting a labor union. And they said yes. So they hired me and basically said, knock yourself out, and uh, I'm now in my 44th year of association with them. So it's it's been a long ride and a great ride. So. Well, you know, one of the things that has always amazed me about your work, Bruce, you know, because I'm in my 26th year, and, you know, I work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Seventh-day Adventists have taught historically to abstain from labor union membership for religious reasons. And yet, in all my years, we've had a smattering of calls from those who need some help with labor union accommodations. But the early cases have established the rights so effectively that aside from a couple of EEOC matters that you and I have worked on, I've never had to actually litigate any of these cases, but you've litigated, you know, quite a few of them. Yes, not only have I litigated them, but thankfully I've been able to persuade the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to file suit in its own name against some labor unions and employers who were not accommodating the religious beliefs of, of employees. Now, uh, why is that different? It's because this, I think. Uh, when I started in 1976, a couple of lawyers, Lee Boothby and David Watkins, had litigated the early cases involving Seventh-day Adventists. And they had won a number of precedents which said that if a Seventh-day Adventist had a religious objection to supporting or joining or financially supporting a labor union, that they could redirect the union fees to charity. But... Uh, 
that was just Seventh-day Adventists. So I think the reason why I had to litigate was because I was representing employees who are not Seventh-day Adventists, and I was expanding the scope of employees who are entitled to religious accommodation. For example, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I can't let you drop the name of Lee Boothby without just honoring a man who was uh, a mentor to me. And, uh, you know, one of the honors of my life was having the privilege to speak at his memorial service. He's not with us anymore. He passed a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, you know, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964 for the first time protecting workers from discrimination in employment. So it's only, you know, the last, what, 55 years that we've even had any ability to to challenge the ability of, of employers or labor unions to, to fire people because of their religious beliefs or practices. And that first generation accomplished so much. But you were going to go on and, and talk about, I think, some issues that you've done. Well, let, let's hold a minute on, on Lee Boothby, if that's all right. Uh, I grew up in uh, Lee Boothby's hometown. Lee Boothby talked with me about being a lawyer when I was in high school. And so, wow. uh, and, and I litigated with Lee as well. And we kept in contact with each other during, uh, during my career, I, I would say. Uh, Lee is a great guy, an absolute pioneer of religious liberty. And Dave Watkins is the other one. Uh, Lee was a Seventh-day Adventist. Dave Watkins is not. But I've also litigated with David Watkins, and the church hired him to uh, represent uh, uh, some members in this pioneering litigation on you know, religious accommodation for union dues objections. So that was in place when I started, and I wanted to help uh, all sincere religious objectors. So the first case, the first important case, was one involving a lady named Thomasina Nichols, in a case called IAM versus Boeing. And Thomasina Nichols had religious beliefs like a Seventh-day Adventist in the sense that she could not be a member of a labor union anytime, anyplace, anywhere, but she was not a Seventh-day Adventist, and she was not even a member of her own church. And so we're able to win before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, and I was counsel at record at the U.S. Supreme Court. And so uh, bottom line is that that uh, she was the first expansion beyond Seventh-day Adventists. And then the, the blockbuster case that I had involved a Catholic professor, a man named uh, Robert Resser, who worked for a Jesuit institution. And uh, the Catholic University fired him because he would not support a labor union, which was a pro-abortion lobby. I mean, there's no question it was a pro-abortion lobby. And so uh, there's a huge amount of public interest in the fact that the Jesuits would fire a Catholic because of his fidelity to the pro-life views of the church. <laughs> you know, Bruce, I, I'm not sure if I've got these headphones on correctly, and, and maybe my listeners are scratching their heads also. Um, am I hearing you correctly that the Jesuits, a Catholic employer, fires a Catholic professor for objecting to being part of a pro-abortion labor union. That's correct. That's correct. You know, the it was the Michigan Education It's like the Twilight Zone, buddy. It's just, you know, it's craziness. It's uh, so were, bizarre. There was a lot of discussion in the conservative Catholic press about the case. And at one point, 
I deposed the Jesuit who fired my client, and it was just a, a great time. A Seventh-day Adventist was cross-examining a Jesuit priest over the Catholic encyclicals about labor unions and uh, refraining from pro-abortion activities. He finally said to me, because uh, logic didn't work, well, if you could read the encyclicals in the original Latin, then you would understand my position. So we hired the chief canon law scholar in the United States, a man who teaches at Catholic University, to be our expert witness in the case, so he could, if necessary, consult the Latin version of the encyclicals. <laughs> so it was a great case, and, and we won. And the, the great thing about the win in this case, Alan, is this, that now an individual who is a member of a church which had historically been considered to be pro-union was entitled right. to object and be protected from uh, paying union fees. And he, unlike Seventh-day Adventists, didn't object to the main function of the union, that is being involved in collective bargaining and the push and shove of that. He objected to just one activity of the union, which was its lobbying on behalf of uh, abortion rights. And so uh, the, uh, the law that came out of this was that if his objection caused him to believe he could not support the union at all, he was entitled to redirect his money away from the union. So it was a huge, huge victory. So, well, um, and, you know, I think these cases have gone a long way towards helping the courts understand and respecting the sincerity of individuals' beliefs. It doesn't have to be according to what, you know, a particular church teaches, but it has to be sincerely held by the individual. And if so, then it's subject to protection. Yes, that is right. I will tell you what, though, Alan, there's, there's yet a greater victory that was uh, brought about by the funding of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. And that is this last summer, we won a case before the U.S. Supreme Court called uh, Janus versus uh, AFSCME. And in that case, the United States Supreme Court said no public employee in the United States has to join or financially support a labor union. So we now have been able to establish in the courts that all employees, that is all public employees, all those who have constitutional rights, are free to refuse to support a labor union, whether or not their objections are political or religious or whatever. And so uh, it's just a huge advantage, especially because in the cases that you and I have been involved in, the cases that I've litigated separately, we had to litigate this very issue that you were talking about, sincerity. And even though, for example, my Catholic got fired because he would not compromise his religious beliefs, the union contested his sincerity. I mean, they fought his sincerity throughout. It was just unbelievable that they would do that. But this is very typical of my cases, that the unions would challenge the sincerity of my clients, even though it was very clear that they were completely sincere in their religious beliefs. Well, now there's no requirement for that. If you are a public employee and you have religious objections to supporting a labor union, all you have to do is send a note to the union which says, you know, I don't want to support you. In fact, you don't even have to do that. You can simply refuse to uh, join the union and they cannot require you to pay a fee. Well, you know, there's a principle involved here, Bruce. You know, I have an active Facebook page, and when people attack me personally, 
I always figure it's because, you know, they have a weak, a weak case to challenge whatever viewpoint that I have expressed. Uh, you know, you, you degenerate into personal attack. Well, and you and I know that when it comes to lawsuits and we're representing individuals, defense attorneys' first sort of uh, tactic is simply to attack the plaintiff. And uh, so sincerity of belief is one tactic. I actually have a case right now where, um, you know, I was talking with opposing counsel about why, after a deposition, they really did not challenge my client's belief because I was surprised. I figured they would. And uh, he was very respectful. It was uh, quite a surprise to me. I'll tell you a story, Alan. Uh, I was representing another Catholic who had objections to supporting the uh, union, and I was deposing the president of the union. And I said to him, I asked him in a deposition, do you have any reason to believe my client is not sincere in his religious beliefs? He says, no. He said, everybody knows your client is sincere. He said he attends mass every morning, which was the truth. <laughs> so I thought, well, wow. I'm not going to have a fight in this case. <laughs> well, Bruce, as we look back on such a long and successful career, I have to ask, you know, how you got into this in the first place? Was there a reason you chose the law? When I was, uh, I think, less than 10, I was reading a church publication about becoming a lawyer. And it made me decide that what I needed to do was to become a lawyer and serve God. And so that has been the driving force in my life to uh, you know, serve God. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So God, because of that decision, opened door after door to allow me to do these things. And so it's just a great blessing and of course, the Lord has been involved in blessing my litigation. What an amazing testimony. Thank you so much. Our guest, Bruce Cameron, uh, Reed Larson, Professor of Labor Law at Regent University Law School. Thanks, as always, for being with us on Freedom's Ring. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>